Uh, the scripture today is Luke 4, 4, 16 through 30 from the Common English Bible. Jesus went to Nazareth where he had been raised. On the Sabbath, he went to the synagogue as he normally did and stood up to read. The synagogue assistant gave him the scroll from the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the synagogue assistant and sat down. Every eye in the synagogue was fixed on him. He began to explain to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. Everyone was raving about Jesus, so impressed were they by the gracious words flowing from his lips. They said, this is Joseph's son, isn't it? Then Jesus said to them, undoubtedly, you will quote this saying to me, doctor, heal yourself. Do hear in your hometown what we've heard you did in Capernaum. He said, I assure you that no prophet is welcome in the prophet's hometown. And I can assure you that there were many widows in Israel doing during Elijah's time when it didn't rain for three and a half years and there was a great food shortage in the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to a widow in the city of Zarephath in the region of Sidon. There were also many persons with skin diseases in Israel during the time of the prophet Elisha, but none of them were cleansed. Instead, Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. When they heard this, everyone in the synagogue was filled with anger. They rose up and ran him out of town. They led him to the crest of the hill on which their town had been built so that they could throw him off the cliff. But he passed through the cloud and went on his way. Let's try this again. Good morning, Trinity. That was just a chance to make sure you're awake and make sure everyone's in in tune for, we're going to sing another song and that's the pitch, okay? Um, before we get going, let's, uh, let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day, for the opportunity to worship you, to serve you, and to, uh, to learn from you. We ask that you would show up during this time, that we would sense your spirit, and that we would be drawn close to you. Amen. All right. Uh, I am glad to be talking with you today because we are starting a new series in the Gospel of Luke. So uh, we're, we're moving into, uh, into a whole new uh, conversation. Uh, we're looking at what many people would consider the most elaborate of the Gospels. Luke is, uh, is a long Gospel, and it is tied to, uh, to, to the book of Acts as a big, long investigation. So this, as a gospel, is a, a big conversation that uh, the author is having with people around him as he looks to understand what the story of Jesus is. So Luke is, is the work of someone who went out and said, I'm going to try and figure out this Jesus thing among the people who saw Jesus, heard from Jesus, and wrote things down about Jesus, and I'm going to compile it together. So Luke is not the, the account of a witness, it's the account of many witnesses pulled together into this story. Now, we're not going to hit everything in the Gospel of Luke. Um, in fact, we're going to jump past the very beginning because we just did Christmas at Christmas, um, and we're going to move on to some other pieces. Uh, we're hopefully going to show you some things in the Gospel that you may not have been, um, have been focused on before, um, some parts that may not have always been uh, something that jumped out to you. So we're going to jump right in from the start 
at, uh, at Luke chapter 4. Um, and I'm going to remind Jeremy to hit that clock back there so I don't get too lost. All right. Uh, Luke chapter 4. Now, in this scenario, not quite, not quite. I told him it would be obvious when to put that slide up. And then it's my fault. So don't worry. Uh, so we're going to jump into loop four. And in this story, here's what's happening to be at the beginning. Jesus has already started his ministry work, okay? He's been warming up at least. He's gotten things going. He's gotten, gotten things moving. The, the wheels are turning. People are starting to notice something's going on. The things that Jesus was doing say that he's not the same Jesus he was the few, few weeks ago when we saw him, essentially. So the people who are around him know something's up. Something's going on. He's up to something now. So we had this, this sense previously in the story of, of Luke uh, that where Jesus was at the temple when he was a child, uh, and he kind of shows like there's something going on here. So we have a sense that as a kid, Jesus was showing stuff is moving in him that something big is going to come. Mary and Joseph know what's going on, and everyone else is just getting a hint right along the way. Then he gets baptized as an adult by John the Baptist. We know he's John the Baptist because he baptizes. That's the only reason. If you ever wonder why we named him that, that wasn't like his middle name. It's just that. It's not in the text. It's just that. So he gets baptized by John the Baptist, heads into the desert where he is tempted for 40 days. This is not normal for preachers before they prepare for ministry. There, there's, there's, there is a process of seminary and some other things. I'm thankful that it's not normal to go into the desert for 40 days. But this is what Jesus does. Baptized into the desert. Um, this also isn't normal for the rest of you when you get baptized here at Trinity. Um, we don't send you out this way. But this is what Jesus does. He gets baptized, goes in the desert for 40 days, gets tempted, um, and basically to choose a different path. Temptations are really a, a, a chance to, hey, have everything you want, but not the way that God intends. And Jesus rejects that and comes back and ministry is started. And the first place he goes is home. First place he goes is back home. I'm going back home. He heads back to the Galilean region, to the people of Nazareth. And he's preaching in the churches and people are, they're loving it actually. Like, it's going pretty well. He's, he's at home in the sense, okay, that you might say, uh, you're, you, someone who grew up here at Trinity, okay, went out, and something unique is showing in them. They seem to be some great preacher, right? And they come back, and they're preaching at churches around Phoenix, but not here. So they're hearing about Jesus. They know Jesus is up to something, but he's not here yet. And they know that it's a big deal, that he's out there, that something's happening. Uh, and there, this isn't too surprising, honestly. Here's the thing. When you hear that someone that you know is kind of famous, you get oddly excited, like it's your fault, <laughs> right? I grew up uh, in a small town. Well, we've talked about this a few times. Not too small, but small for me. And, and right around the corner, uh, lead singer of Journey was born. <laughs> Thank you. 
Thank you. He was born before me, but I'm still pretty sure it, I'm responsible. Um, so, uh, I'm just saying, just a small town, and it's a lonely world, but that's a really bad joke. That's just dumb. Um, anyway, uh, but, uh, but that's how we feel, right? Uh, when you have this experience of that, that's amazing. Uh, you would... You, and you feel like they owe you something, too. Like, they should come back here and show us, right? They're from here. And that's basically what happens. Jesus comes back to his hometown, and he does church the way it was done. He sits down, um, and he comes in on a Saturday, because that would be what, where you would go, uh, or when you would go to church at the time, right? That's when you would go um, and, and worship was on, uh, on Sabbath. It was on the seventh day. So he goes in and he sits down. Actually, at this point, he would sit probably on the ground um, where everyone else was seating, sitting. And then he was asked to read the scripture for the day. So when you would go to the synagogue, which was a church for them, when you would go to the synagogue, uh, someone would be reading the scripture for the day. And then um, would possibly be asked to do the meditation, the preaching on the scripture. And now Jesus, the famous guy, of course, is who's going to be asked. So he reads the scripture for the day, and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to preach good news to the poor, to proclaim release to the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to liberate the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is a very famous text from Isaiah. This is something they would all know. This is something they all would all hope for. This was a proclamation of the Messiah coming. This was an information, the information that they were sitting on saying, someday this is exactly what we want to see. This is the statement of hope we've all been looking at our whole lives. And now we're going to hear about it from this famous preacher who's got great words and everyone's excited about what he would have to say. And then he sits down. Now, for you and me, if I were just to come up here, read the scripture, and go right back to a pew and sit down, you might think the sermon's over. Uh, that's not how it worked. He was sitting down probably in a chair in front of everyone then, and that means he's about to start. I can promise you nowadays, if a preacher sits down before they preach, it's a long sermon. They're getting ready. In his day, uh, the sermons were not so long. Uh, so here's what happens instead. Uh, he says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled as you heard it. That's the sermon. That's the shortest sermon in the Bible. This is already 10 times as long of a sermon. Hopefully, it's half as good because people were amazed. I mean, even when he sat down, it says they were fixated on him. Think about it. They were waiting. What will he say? What will he say about this? We've heard the rumors. We are ready for something big. We know this guy. We watched him grow up. We know, but we know something's changed. There's something happening to him that's going to change everything. All right, what is he going to say? Today, the scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. What he's saying is, it's me. It's me right here right now, 
The thing you've been waiting for, what you've been looking for, everything you've been hoping for, everything you've hung your life on, waiting for from the time someone told you about it, right here, you're looking at it, it's me. And at first, it seems like they, they love it. This is a really rapid couple of verses, okay? Because at first, he says this tiny one-sentence sermon. Today, the scripture has been fulfilled just as you heard it. And they respond immediately with a sense of amazement, with wonder at how wonderfully he speaks. It's one sentence, but how wonderfully he speaks. And then they immediately start to ask questions. Because the way that they phrase this is not an amazement that this is Joseph's son. It's a question of, now wait a minute. Wait a minute. This is Joseph's son, right? He, did he just say all of this is in him? Look, I used to babysit that kid. Right? Like, I know what's up with him. They've got other things. I, I, can't, I would love to have heard what was actually said, because isn't this Joseph's kid is not the end of it. That's just that kid down the street, right? I'm, I know he says he didn't do it, but I still think he stole my basketball. You know, the, the thing that happens with people who live down the street from you. And Jesus sees beyond the immediacy of their amazement of his, the rumors around him, the things they've heard, and how he speaks. He sees beyond that. And he sees into the depths of what they're questioning and what they're missing. Because they may, many of them may have been in that sense of, that's great, I'm glad he's here. But he sees beyond that to know, I think you might not be as glad if you understood. Because that's why he continues the way he does. He goes beyond what they're saying, beyond what they are immediately expecting and begins to teach on what is really to come. See, he goes on to call himself a prophet. He says that I am a prophet just like the prophets of old. And no prophet is actually accepted in their hometown. And this is when you can feel the audience converting away. <laughs> right? This is the transition away. When you tell people, hey, listen, no one's going to like what I'm about to say. You can probably bet everyone thinks you're telling the truth. You're not going to like this. In fact, just like no one liked it before, you're not going to like it. Well, that's the crowd getting ready right there. And he compares himself directly to Elijah and Elisha, two Old Testament prophets. Now, here's what's really interesting for the context, and it's very important for you if you were in that place, you would understand this in the same way, because Elisha and Elijah were prophets in northern Israel, the same location as Nazareth, okay? It's like me describing my relationship to, to the people um, of the United States, right, as it's kind of like George Washington, 
you would have some understanding that it has to do with you and here and this place and these people. Not a distant story of other people, but right here with this community. Or even more so, right, if I say it kind of has to do with the people who founded this church. That's the sort of experience it would feel like. It kind of has to do with your dad. Okay? This is what we're talking about when he brings up Elijah and Elisha. It has to do with that. And here's what he says about them. If Jesus then, well, at least in their minds, if Jesus is like Elisha and Elijah, Nazareth is like the people of Israel. And things did not go well for the people of Israel when the prophets came and said, you don't get it. You don't get it. You're missing it. God has something for you, but you're choosing not to take it. So I'm going to have to give it because God is going to be pouring this out. And so the blessings went out to people who were not in there. See, Elijah and Elisha brought the blessings of God to people on the outside of Israel because the people inside were rejecting God. And Jesus is seeing that the crowd in his own town is missing it just the way the people of Israel did when the prophets of old came. See, they get the reference, and then they essentially try to kill him for it. They get the reference. This guy, who does he think he is, right? That's basically what's happening. This is Joseph's son. He was supposed to tell us the things he told the other people. Why would he tell us this? They run him right out of the building. They run him, almost try to kill him, and then essentially run him out of town. He escapes doesn't really give us any reason exactly as to how he does it, except that he does. He gets out of there, and he 100% is proven right. What does he say right when things are getting dicey? A prophet is never accepted in their hometown. Let's give it a try. That's essentially what happens. And he gets run right out. What Jesus produces in them is the yimby and nimby response. Now, these are, um, these are not terms I made up, no matter how much they sound like it. Uh, the Yimbi and Nimbi uh, responses are, um, they're often used in economics and politics and a few other areas, but they, they mean this. Nimbi um, is not in my backyard, right? I might be okay with it, but not in my backyard. But more importantly, I'm probably not okay with it, <laughs> right? Not in my backyard is the powerful tool of saying no because I don't want to see it. Yimbi is the exact opposite. Yes, in my backyard. Yes, in my backyard. In this story, Yimbi came first. Right? In this story, Yimby came first. The story is, I am bringing the good news that God has come, that salvation is at hand, that hope that you have just been looking at to the future is here now. And they are like, yeah, we're on it. And then he lays out some details, or at least he starts just to, to give the image of what it would mean. And they flip. 
They say, never mind. That's not what we want. We're not good with that. We want you out of here because if you do that, it changes everything. That's not the expectations we were looking for. I'm not in. No, thank you. This is proven over and over and over again in Jesus's ministry. This is just the beginning of Jesus getting to people and saying, I'm here. Do you want help? And they say, yes, we want it in this way. And he says, help looks like this. So they say, never mind, I'm out. Over and over again, Jesus presents the hope and says, look, it requires not something that you can give, just let go. And instead, there's a gripping tighter and an unwillingness to do so. Yes, we want the blessings and the jubilee. I mean, that's what this is describing. The year of the Lord's favor in that verse from Isaiah is the jubilee, the sense that all debts are free, that you are no longer held down by weight. Particularly the image that you are forgiven for all the sins that, are held, that, are, that you have um, brought into this world and have been brought upon you. I want that freedom. That's the yimby side. But the nimby was... It's going to be open to all who would come. It's not limited to you. And more importantly, it includes people you don't want in here. And that's a big one. The NIMBY side that causes this for most of us is actually not all the pieces of, I have to let go. It's, it turns out if other people let go, they get to be next to me. And I'm not pointing fingers, except at myself, for this, because here's the truth. As I read this scripture three weeks ago, when I knew this was the type of area or the sermon area that we were going on, when I read this scripture, my, immediately thought, my immediate thoughts were, I know these people. I know Christians and other people who are nimbyists. I know people who are out there saying, I want people to come to Jesus but not those people. I know people out there who can't stand the idea of having people who disagree with them around. Man, those people are real problems. Those are, those are the bad guys out there, essentially. And that's when I realized I need to pay attention to the finger pointer right back at me. We are so wonderfully good, amazingly good, overwhelmingly good at categorizing people into unacceptable groups that we actually favor doing so whenever possible. We just don't see it because we don't do it to the people we like. We do it to the people we dislike. Here's here's what I mean as complicated as it can seem in the way that it works in our brains, if you get the sense, if you get the sense that you, that you would never do it, that you would never do this sort of rejection of people because of their perspective, uh, that you would never push people away because uh, they don't have the things you have in your community that you would want, um, then you are probably gathering that group up just like I was. What we essentially will say is things like, yes, I want Jesus and the church. 
but I don't always want that part of Jesus, or I don't always want those people in the church. NIMBY always starts with YIMBY. It always starts with yes. Let me give you an example of how that looks so that you can play this out a little. I want people to join Jesus. But not if they change things. But not if they change things, right? And this is our expectations in church, um, our expectations of, of anything related to church, which are almost exclusively cultural. I'm not going to get into all of that right now because it would take a long time. It is multiple sermons all wrapped up into one. But I will give you the brief synopsis of what that means. When we say our yimby is, yes, I want people to join Jesus, to be a part of the community of believers, but not if that means that they would bring in a different expectation of music. Right? Not if that means they would bring a different, a different expectation of giving. Not if they would bring a different expectation of what sermons look like. Not if that means they would bring a different expectation of what seating looks like, because I like my pews. Right? That, that is what happens in our brains. Not if they would change a dynamic that I like. And the reality is, is that you changed it when you showed up. I changed it when I showed up. We, all, we are people, and that, that's what happens when we do this. But we get so set in the, I want Jesus. Here's what it is. I want people to choose Jesus and the church. I just want them to choose it along with all of the other cultural things that I love about it right now. And Jesus never promises that. Not once. Not once. Uh, we have this in our history, and we're really good at baptizing these cultural ideals. Um, we're really good at baptizing them and making them look like they're, they're the pure Jesus-y gospel. They never have been, though, and we can always rebaptize a new one, so don't worry. If you convert over culturally to a new idea, eventually someone will tell you why that was always the right idea. All right? So we did this historically without going into the details. At one, part, at one point, right, four-part harmony was not only sung primarily in Mennonite churches, but was described as the best possible way to worship because what? What was the, what was the baptized reason? It brought together different voices in harmony to follow Jesus. Literally, Earlier writings said that's why four-part harmony would be bad and we should all sing in the same tone because we should be unified in our voice to worship Jesus. That is the baptizing of cultural values that Jesus would say is on the outside of what he's bringing. I'm bringing people in and if you don't accept it because you require more, you're going to miss out. But it goes beyond, of course, just church cultural ideas. It goes into the heart of who we are internally. I want to be known as more than the bad things that I do. But sometimes I want to only recognize other people as purely the bad things that they do. Trust me, I've watched enough news when it comes to people doing bad things that sometimes all I see them as is those bad things. Right? I have seen activities by people in our own country, sometimes by leaders, sometimes by everyday people, 
In the middle of a pandemic, when you disagree with people about the pandemic, the way they're handling it, like personally, how many times, how easy is it for us to say, I don't want people to judge me by these ways that I make mistakes and look upon the world, but man, I'm going to do that to that guy over there because he should be wearing a mask right now. But man, I'm going to do it to that person over there because they are a fool. Look, I'm not trying to guilt you sincerely because I, like, I don't like that feeling. So I don't want that to be done to me, and I don't want to do that to you. But I do want you to ask the question internally that I'm asking myself when I read these texts, is what am I putting in the way to where I am no longer willing or able to accept what Jesus is offering because I've already put up expectations for what Jesus is going to offer? I am yes at the front and no at the end. So how do we get back to Yimby? If we start, if we end up flopping over to Nimby, how do we get back to Yimby? How do we get back to, yes, in my backyard, I'm here for it. I want you to follow the improv rule that, that we require, um, that, well, let me just put it this way. Jeremy and I, at least, up front here, have a required improv rule for how we engage one another. And this is not uncommon in ministry rule settings because it makes anyone up front look better. This is the improv rule, okay? When someone tries to make a joke, even if it's bad, that involves someone else, Jeremy, what is your response supposed to be? I have not prepped him. He has, he has to get this right, and I've given him no prep. So if I come up here and I, and I am supposed to make some joke, I'm, gonna ma- I'm not going to have you... No, we're going to do this. We're actually going to do this. Jeremy. Yes, Scott. You, uh, you look like you're dressed a bit like a lumberjack this morning. Yes, and I forgot my stocking cap at home. I should have brought it. It would really go with the look, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Yes, that's true. And you're looking good yourself, Scott. Well, thank you. Jeremy, you are dismissed. Thank you for your uh, work here this morning. Yes, and I appreciate <laughs> okay, the he's time continuing. to get to... <laughs> good job, Jeremy. The rule is to simply respond with a version of yes and. Yes and, which is the way of saying, I'm not in control of this right now. My job is simply to react in a way that moves things forward, that doesn't stop it, that doesn't break the momentum of whatever is happening. So I add to it, I encourage it, and I find a way to make it work. This is what Jesus is doing in bringing this to us as the church. We didn't start this. We don't own it, but we are told to be the improv group that says, yes, and. So when Jesus comes to us and gives us this information that says, I am bringing hope, we don't say yes and stop. We say yes and. And so we say, I want the mercy that God is offering me. I want the mercy that God is offering to bring into my life, and I'm going to give it to those who don't deserve it. We say, yes, I am going to bring people into the church, and I'm going to listen when their culture doesn't line up with mine, and I'm not going to hold mine as the most valuable. I, yes, I am going to look for grace in this world, and I'm going to be someone who actually delivers it as well. Yes, 
and changes the game, and it puts you on the step of what Jesus set up, which is not, which is not a scenario in which Jesus brings us in this room hope, but not the rest of the world. It's a scenario in which Jesus brings life to the world through a community that says, yes, and. Let's pray. God of grace and mercy and hope, we ask that you would give us renewed strength to be the kind of people who reject the NIMBY worldview, that we would be people who say yes and in every scenario, that we would continue your mission in a way that reflects your beauty of grace and mercy that we would have the kind of humility to be able to let go of the things that are getting in the way of that. We trust that your vision is better than ours. So we say yes to that vision and continue that. Amen.